Hey, Power Suiters, we've just released the dates for our 2024 Power Sessions in Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, Melbourne, and Sydney. We'd love to meet you in person for our month-long transformative leadership program specifically designed for women. Save your spot at powersuit.com. Welcome to Power Up, the podcast that uncovers the unique challenges women leaders face today. Join your hosts, Nat and Kristen, as we dive into the tough topics and provide actionable insights you can apply right now. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Decades of studies have shown that diverse leadership teams outperform on virtually every business metric. What are some of those metrics, Kristen? Profits, cash in the bank. We know that diverse representation at all levels, particularly those upper levels and board levels, increase company profits and increase the value, the valuation of that business. And productivity doubles when gender discrimination is eliminated within organizations. And not only that, but women in the workforce or lack thereof is costing the global economy $7 trillion each year. And we've just updated our gender equity wishes for 2023 to our gender equity wishes for 2024. And another fact that we can say conclusively is change is not happening fast enough because there wasn't actually a huge amount of change. So today we thought what we would talk about is five ways that we can all participate this year. Male, female, leader, first time employee in changing and pushing and driving this change so that when we release our 2025 wishes for gender equity, we can bring in some cool new stats. Absolutely. And actually credit to Lean In and I think it's McKinsey that does a study every year about women and the workforce. Are they leaving it? Answer is yes, they're still leaving post-pandemic. They left pre-pandemic. There's still an issue. So thankful that some organizations are producing great reports on this and so that we have proof in order to carry on the good fight. Yeah, let's assume we're all across why it's such a good thing to have because it has almost been conclusively proven, um, which most things can't be in life. This one has been. In good news, I think we had a real cracker of a start to 2024 with a bunch of calls and emails and requests for speaking gigs and with people internally in organizations wanting to talk about their pipeline problem and recognizing the need to add investment in women as a separate element to their professional development to really just get on top of this problem once and for all or at least make real progress on it. So congratulations to everyone who is actually going, we've gone past recognizing it, we understand why it's so valuable and now we're really taking action. Just very quickly, DEI has a really bad name. These one and done tick box things haven't really moved the needle. Should we just like quickly address that? Yeah. what what is the deal like how are we going to overcome does it need a rebrand because some of these things we're going to talk about are like the classic like fit in the dei box Mm. like what yeah what what are your thoughts well i mean we we actually in the newsletter mentioned this as well that the problem with anything that is checkbox or forced upon people is it often has the opposite effect so even the term diversity equity and inclusion like we love it because we know we benefit from it but when you actually look at the stigma around 
uh, that idea of people in power, equality means deprivation for them, really. Like that is the ultimate feeling that you get when you first uh, hear those words. And if you are currently in a position of power and then you're being told that you're bad, kind of. If you are a man in this situation, you're constantly being told you need to do more, you need to step aside. And in any behavior change, that is the worst place to come from in order to inspire people to do stuff. So Mm. I think that's just been the attitude and this feeling of like, yuck, I'm forced to do it and I'm losing and women get everything and they get all the time and the tables have turned and all that sort of stuff fits under that banner, in my opinion. Is that what you've seen too? Yeah, I agree. I think what we can do in 2024 is we can accept people for where they are at. So if you are signing up to a a pay equity um, register or something like that, no one is going to shame you for where you're at. It's all about progress, not perfection. Like any of these actions will be incredible and take a step forward rather than just going that turns people off you know i noticed there's big pushback and some really viral posts that have gone on about like diversity i think you're right people are threatened we just need to go no no no. we're not coming in with a hammer we want progress over perfection let's just take some small steps one of the comments i saw last week on uh, it was a big kerfuffle about funding and funding women founders versus male founders difference in rules all that sort of stuff but Mm. there was a man who posted a comment and he was very in support and firstly brave i am so impressed when any man joins this conversation and i will never shame them for joining the conversation Mm. but people get frustrated when they say the wrong thing and he used the word female in the wrong context and got called out for it by a woman and i just commented underneath being like thank you so much for joining in because his comment immediately was like thank you for letting me know i will change my term Mm. and i love when we are having conversations productively around we we all come from different backgrounds not everyone has been given a full education in gender equality equity and equality if you want to enter this conversation and make progress we welcome you yeah. and it is fine if your starting point is to go our organization is so top heavy men that is not shameful that is absolutely the first step and that mm. is so great and welcome yeah. basically amazing now let's crack in Number one, the first action that you can take in 2024 is hire for diversity. And this is really the acceptance that we all like to minimize risk and pain in our (laughs) lives, and that includes hiring positions. And so if you're responsible for an organization or for a division or for a team, and so you are looking to drive forward and you are looking to succeed because that makes you look good, it means you're successful. And so the people you surround yourself with you're looking for them to help you. In that case, you're often looking to minimize risk and difference is scary and different people are scary. People that think differently, look differently. Like that is just biological. We (laughs) surround ourselves with like-minded humans to achieve a shared goal. So we should recognize that that is a bias that we all have. You're put into a really high pressure role. You always look around to go, who are my friends that can come along this journey with me? Lo and behold, you get a a team of people that look alike and act alike. One thing that the cluster of social media has taught us in the last few years is all of us have these biases. We all live in echo chambers because we all surround ourselves with people who think and act like us, which is why often we are confused and befuddled by election results or social movements that just are so outside what we thought the world looked like. Mm. So if you don't believe you have biases, I feel like 
it is a really first step is to actually start to think about what they are. And and a very non-threatening example, although a threatening example, is if I saw a bear walking down the street, my gut reaction would be that bear's going to try and kill me. Mm. I know you're from Canada, so you're probably going to be like giving it a hug or something. <laughs> but that is because my brain has created a shortcut to go bears, dangerous, avoid. So I don't have to take in all the information of is the bear wearing a cute little jacket and is the bear like actually whatever Winnie the Pooh or whatever it's it's, my brain has created a shortcut so that I can move on with my life without having to sit there and analyze the beer for about five hours before I can make a decision we do that in everything we do Mm -hmm. we do it when we choose food we do it when we do hiring because we have shortcuts inbuilt into our brains to enable us to actually get things done in a day however those shortcuts don't always serve us. And when we are looking to create diverse organizations, one of the phrases I hate so much is we hire the best person for the job because it's one of those phrases that's just so loaded with bias is what is the best person for the job? Because if you have a view of what confidence looks like and what behavior is right and what leadership looks like, you will think you've hired the best person for the job, but you may have just hired someone who fits within your echo chamber. Yeah, I love that as the first example that is just accepting and recognizing that we all have them. You can go and read a ton of resources, watch a ton of videos on just that aha moment of, oh, I kind of do do that because it's safe and it's comfortable and that's okay. Humans do that. I have started watching this real big muscly guy on Instagram yes. and in my head, anyone who goes shirtless at a gym is an asshole. Like, <laughs> I just immediate brain like what a gym dude he does this hilarious series where he coaches like an 80 year old man and they're absolutely delightful and he's the exact opposite of what my bias was so i've tried to i've tried to like he's just proud of the work he's done yeah and i've just Mm. recognized that my first reaction when i see him is like ugh, and then i have to like overcome that feeling okay i have another one Mm -hmm. um and it was from watching the beckham documentary on netflix (laughs) i think everyone thought they knew who victoria beckham was because of the persona that she represented because she was quiet she was trying to be private she was trying to run a business we just slagged her off for years and years and years maybe inside my head i didn't publicly i don't have like i don't really care that much all kristen would talk about (laughs) but honestly after the beckham documentary i was like she's amazing she's awesome she's a powerhouse she's a powerhouse and all you had to do was just get to know the human as much as of course she let you get to know her but it was quite a vulnerable show that you're like oh you just have to spend time with people and then you break down those barriers what was it what's your actual car was it a rolls Royce? (laughs) (laughs) and and i think on that front uh women can have biases around women as well and especially when it comes to recruitment we know there's a bunch of research on it that women show a preference for male candidates at every step of the hiring process as well so it is not just a men's issue and I've been reflecting on this a bit because we've gone and done a whole bunch of webinars and quite often men will raise their hands and ask a question women will all be silent and I had a bias about that that I'd be like they're so checked out and they and like I'd come off really frustrated and I remember that a couple of years ago and now I've made a conscious point of looking at why that might be the case and recognizing different communication styles and that my bias was towards people who were loud and engaged face to face and I need to change that bias to really recognize and celebrate people who 
think internally and write later because that's the opposite of me and that's going to be the biggest help for me as someone who's different from me. Amazing. Before we move on to number two, I'd just like to give a shout out to all the people, people and HR people that are reviewing their job descriptions, like things like nice to have as opposed to must meet specific criteria and even the language that we use, gendered language. And so I love that we're doing that because most women that says must have will go, oh, actually, I shouldn't say that. There there are some people that go, I must meet that requirement. Well, yeah, I'm not comfortable lying. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I love all of the people that are using these great tools, writing inclusive job descriptions, but secondly, setting and measuring recruitment goals. And so um, it it could look like I know a bank here in New Zealand that literally won't start the hiring process until they have great representation in their interview candidates, which I think is a fabulous practice. Yes. And there was that international, that big uh, insurance firm and Mm. the CEO, who is a woman, has said, go through your hiring process but if you do not hire women in roles where there is a lack of gender diversity mm. i need justification why and that's not to say you can't it's just you actually need to explain why it was impossible to find a woman to do this job yeah. or infeasible and i think that switches it again of like why why can't you what is the things that you can change mm. because there are plenty of women out there who can do this stuff agreed number two fix the broken rung and this is so interesting there is a general acceptance that actually it's the glass ceiling that is the biggest obstacle in the way of women but in fact it isn't it's the very first step on the career ladder and we know that from stats and that is going from i suppose um, your initial hire into moving into a people leadership or management role and it it statistics show that out of every 10 men that their first management promotion into people leadership or again a management role only seven or eight women make the cut. So right from that very first step on our careers, we are falling behind. And then of course, as the ladder rungs go up, um, increasingly we fall behind to get to that less of 10% of C-suite roles are filled by women. We talked in number one about hiring, but it's all great if you hire women. Are you supporting women when they get there? Are you actually looking at them and how and and supporting them in their career pathway through the organization? Are you setting benchmarks for that very first level? What is the representation at that level? How can we actually support women once we get into the organization with practices of how do we do promotions and and how do we chart people's career path and support them through that once they're in? I love it. And I think this goes back to the bias part, which is we all have a bias around what looking for a promotion looks like. So we assume people will put up their hand. We'll assume that they will potentially overrepresent what their skills and qualifications are. We expect unconsciously all these behaviors. And the best thing we can do to start fixing that broken rung is to go, that's one way. That is one style. What about the other style, which is someone who may be less forward with uh, with selling themselves or who may actually need to be told because they've come from a totally different background and this is not just for women that they're actually up for it and that Mm. they could do it like there is a a totally different set of behaviors and experiences that we actually if we start to identify more than one style we'll find it a lot easier to identify top talent earlier yeah Should we move to number three? Because I think it actually supports number two. Yeah. Okay. Well, number three is about boost learning and development opportunities. And the reason I like this is because this goes back to that second point of that first career rung. Why is it that only seven or eight women um, early on in their career is getting that promotion? And so not only are we looking to attract and hire great gender representation across all levels, but once they're in again, 
what are the practices and the policies we're putting into place to develop our women? That's through sponsorship and mentorship, but that is looking at learning and L&D opportunities as an investment. It is not a cost. Well, or a, a booby price. <laughs> what is that? Well, I've just heard a few women and I've seen it. I mean, obviously we're obsessed with this stuff uh, who talk about getting overlooked for an opportunity, oh. but they get the $10,000 course as the, um, but we're investing in you. If professional development is an investment, the goal should be that you get the promotion, not that it's the compensation for not getting the promotion. Yeah. Alternatively, I love the idea. I've heard of people negotiate negotiating that as part of their salary. It's just part of the package. Yes. And so I am negotiating this membership to this. I mean, I know a lot of organizations that actually love to see their people develop. And, and if you put it as part of your early negotiation, if you can, then it's just simply the value of that employee and you can just get on with it. Absolutely. And we've seen the benefits of treating professional development as an investment. We run power sessions. Yeah. And when you actually look at the tangible outcomes of really grappling with the biggest challenges or blockers in your path, the things that are holding you back, aligning them with your goals and smashing them down, you leave even after a month with a totally different perspective and behaviors and approaches to how you tackle your career yeah. it works it really does work and if we start to see professional development as a way to deliver that and really empower people to continue towards whatever success looks like for mm. them i think we kind of remove a little bit of the stigma around professional development which is that it's a cost and you, you sort of give it out and maybe something will be achieved and maybe it won't but people feel good about it like it shouldn't be seen as that it should be a really tangible thing to boost your bottom line to boost your productivity to get great people operating at 100% rather than 50% whatever it is yeah. it pays off it yeah. really does well and I wonder if if as much as I love events and conferences and ability to network I do wonder if they've kind of given this a bit of a tough a tough go and that they can easily cost upwards of two three thousand dollars just for someone to attend a conference and that is viewed as a learning and development opportunity and we would kind of classify that as a one and done because you might walk away inspired if you've been able to network, you might walk away some with some leads, which then I think that's a sales and marketing cost um, and goals associated with that and metrics and, and what does success look like. But I do think that there's this concept of if you're just throwing away thousands of dollars every year to go and have a day of inspiration, it's kind of a it's a reward, I think, for people as opposed to a learning and development opportunity, which is why with power sessions and um, potentially other great programs, we're looking at measurable outcomes and how to not only support women with their unique challenges, but equally when they're going back to work, how are they moving the needle for that organization, getting really strategic, getting visible opportunities and really pushing um, the organization's goals forward. I love it. And one caveat to this, which I have found really surprising because I would consider power suitors. So we've got thousands of people in our audience. Mm. I would consider our audience to be the cream of the crop, obviously. These are these are women who are motivated enough about their career that they're subscribing to newsletters, that they're listening to podcasts, that they're actively investing in themselves, right? And we put out our survey at the end of last year to get a holistic understanding of what's working in power suit, but also what's working for our audience. And 30% of our community, the most highly motivated group of women, have not spent a cent of their professional development in the last year, and 10% didn't even know how much they had. So my challenge to employers is to really 
lower the barrier to access. Having sort of on-demand budgets or having something available that was written in your contract but never surfaced again, women won't take advantage of it. Like, Mm. I mean, not women, people won't take advantage of it as much as they should. So not just saying it's available, but actively if you're a people leader, actively work with your people and go, this budget is available and here's some great things that you can do. Mm. I really back you and I want you to succeed and get to the next stage and use that budget. It is an investment. Talk about attracting and retaining great people by having that, by viewing it as, as an investment and then putting in some measures into place to, to see how that is actually progressing uh, your engagement to your work outcomes, what that might look like. I love that. But equally for people, ask what your budget is. I think a great example of this for me was with Kristen, when you nominated me to go on that leadership course. And it was funny at the time, because I remember thinking your first instinct, and I don't know if this is just me with a giant ego, is you're like, oh, do I need training? Like you, you <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. like a stigma around for professional sure. development. Yeah. And then of course, because I'm also me, I went, what a wonderful opportunity yeah. and that someone backs me to do this. And it was transformative and I had a wonderful time. And and it's just talking about this now that made me wonder, is there an element of professional development that people think, oh, I need fixing. And mm. that stigma needs to change as well because it is the biggest gift someone can give you to invest in you. Like it is like such feedback, a huge gift. It? It's yeah. like one of those things where you just have to get over the... Uh, I don't know, positioning or stigma associated with it and just embrace it. As yeah, an because then now I notice like so many women proactively reach out for coaching or to come to power sessions or do any number of things. And the, the, But the flip side is if someone tells you to, you can kind of have a thing about it. Yeah. Don't let it go. Number four, create a true meritocracy. And we talk about this concept of mirrortocracy and hiring people that look and act just like you. We can see that visibly across boards around the world. And we talked about it up top about all, you know, why humans do it. But creating a true meritocracy, I thought I'd just start on one thing I've been mulling over, and that's actually changing mindsets as required here. And I read this sentence that really hit home in an article a couple of weeks ago, and it said that for many men, their experience of the world is the only experience. And I I mean, you could probably call out opinionated people or people that aren't open or curious, but how they navigate through life is how they feel everyone should because their lived experience, they've got privilege and they had opportunities and they just went out and worked hard and everyone else should do the same. And so there's this concept of that the right person gets the job just because, because in my lived experience, I could just get the job. And there's, and it is so interesting that that mindset shift, so that is a mindset, the shift doesn't happen until they can have empathy and see other people's lived experiences. And you know when it happens, Nat, because we've seen it happen, they go, I have a daughter. (laughs) They go, oh, I've got a daughter. Or they say, oh, my wife had to go into the cubicle toilet, sorry, the cubicle in the toilet at work to breastfeed our baby or to pump milk during a lunchtime and how demeaning and how terrible that that my wife had to go through that. And only then when they start to experience and have empathy for other people's experiences, mindsets shift on meritocracy. We know this, we're two white women, privilege is invisible often. And I just remember going through a real, and actually it's changed a little bit, but during Black Lives Matter, having some real truth bombs in my brain around some of the invisible things like I had never occurred to me and this is like how basic this stuff is that black mothers worry about their black sons out at night because Mm. of being arrested or being targeted 
I had no idea because it was invisible to me because I was like, my world is that men are free to walk around at night without worry, whereas I don't. So mm-hmm. um, I, I found that really, really interesting to just go through that that idea of privilege being so invisible. And it's not your fault. It's invisible if you don't experience it. But what you can do is proactively look out for other people's experiences and not just wait till you have a daughter to do that, to really like ask your f- woman friends or ask your colleagues and understand what the differences are because I so agree I love that point and I think the other thing that um, we have to recognize is that offices and workplaces were established before women really participated in them so I saw some really interesting stuff the other day even about the nine to five workday was invented around the idea that men would go to work and have a wife at home doing everything else we've talked before and it's kind of a well-known thing now about office temperatures are designed around men and their base temperature so all of this stuff was designed in a world well before any of us was alive, well, not that long before, but um, well before any of us was uh, arrived on the planet. And so it's not our fault that the system was set up, but what it means is that we have to change it because it, otherwise it will continue to have these inbuilt biases mm. that make it an uneven playing ground. Well, and I love this is the perfect time to introduce that concept of equity versus equality. If there's a, a workplace practice that's the same for everyone, same budget, same flexi this or hybrid this or hybrid that, that is equality. Whereas in fact, if you were to take into account the whole person, and that might be their racial background, it might be uh, gender, it, it might be n- neurodiverse, social, yeah. it might, everyone needs different support mechanisms and practices in a workplace. So these blanket, like everyone be in the office. I mean, that's so crazy. We're rolling back this stuff because again, we've got this childcare cliff where people, women are literally going, it no longer makes sense to me to be commuting into work four days. And, you know, and they're kind of trying to, they're doing this trade-off. And so I just think this concept of equity, and again, this mindset shift of empathy to saying, what does this person need in order to give their best at work? Because that is in organizations best interest. And it probably is different than the person next to them. Yeah, and that's cool. And I feel Mm. like as someone, I've just turned 40, I have had a two-day headache, which is now becoming an every-month thing for me, is every month I get a two-day headache. It is painful. I hate looking at screens. I sort of suck it up, but I... But this isn't because you're 40. This is your period? Yeah, it is. But it's like in the last couple of years, it's sort of kicked in. And Mm. um, and I suppose... Peri-peri menopause. It may be, but I feel like I also know women who've gone through awful periods their entire lives. So that idea that I can work the same way every day of a month is just... It's just factually incorrect. And whereas for men, their cycle is 24 hours. So they work better during nine to five times, blah, blah, blah. Um, So that idea of equity really fits in there. That like no man needs to take two days off for a headache every month or needs to switch off from the computer for regular patches or whatever it is. And that's like, that's fine because otherwise what am I going to do, you know? So I feel like all that stuff and a lot of this is hidden We've got heaps of examples that we shared in the newsletter around all the stuff around women taking on the non-promotable work, all the stuff around menopause and periods, all the stuff about flexible and hybrid and who are like, look into this stuff. It's not that hard to give it a Google and just understand and start to think about each individual and what lets them perform at their best. Here, here. And for the final one that you can look into in 2024 as part of gender equity in the workplace is to solve your pay gender gap problem. And this one is easy 
and complex. And I say that because it is easy in that if you have two people doing the same job, there's no reason they should be getting different pay. And they have the same expectations and roles and responsibilities and irregardless of where they've come from and the experience they bring in, right? Because Mm -hmm. that other person will have incredible strengths and that includes women coming back to work after having children. They will have amassed enormous amount of skill and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, ability to handle challenges and complex problems. Multitasking. Multitasking is a thing, but context switching. (laughs) Exactly. So, so if you have two people doing the same job, that's what I mean by like, that's an easy fix. Just fix it. And, there are fantastic organizations that are doing that. Probably the more complex one, which we'll just have to solve in all sorts of ways, is they tend to have women in roles. For example, if you look at a, I don't know, a typical tech organization, you might have higher representation of women in customer support roles, and you might have more men in technical roles. And naturally, they have different pay grades. They bring different value to the business. But that's something that's going to require real societal change of how do we get women um, to really embrace some of these more valued roles, because that is the world we live in, um, and facing into tech roles or facing into some of those senior higher paid roles as opposed to just taking those entry level roles. I agree, and I think a third element to that is, I can't remember what it's the exact term for it, but it might be job sizing or something, and I remember doing some work on this a few years ago, and they use the example of the police versus nurses. And so both of them underpaid. Yeah. Police largely male dominated and nurses largely female dominated. Both when they actually looked at the jobs match on virtually everything. Danger, difficulty, stress, skill level. And there is a gap because one of them's male dominated. Yeah. And so I think even within... Um, so absolutely, women need to go into more highly paid jobs and professions, and there's a bunch of that. But the third element is, do we? How do we compare value? And and there is an element there of when you look in any business and you see there's a lot more women in HR and a lot more men and whatever that you can actually start to go. How do these jobs actually compare? Yeah, I love that. And if we want the best of the best in them let's start looking at what is actually yeah. adding value. Yeah, love that. And I um, e- equally, my last point on, on this um, final point is I've loved the moves around the world. I've seen it in Australia. I've seen it in the States where they're actually legislated to be transparent about pay bans now. So there are a number of things. You used to be penalized if you were to share your pay within businesses, like actually you weren't allowed and it was written in contracts. They're no longer allowed to do that. So you can now start to talk about your salary with other employees without fear of reprisal. And then the second is uh, they have to advertise the pay scales. And I love that because immediately people know that they're going into a role and all the people applying for that role or what level that role is. Um, there's no sense of, um, you know, this person might be, it, it's just, it's no longer hidden. It's brought out into the light. It's and the final the thing light. is, in job interviews as part of a lot of this legislation you're not allowed to ask what they made in their past role which i love and we can ask what you expect yes if you're asked what you made in your last role just reply with what you expect that's fine like (laughs) that, that is your right and i think again that was a system designed on whoever negotiated the best got the highest pay that's really how it used to work the inbuilt problem there is that that led to so many women earning so much less than their male colleagues. But what the solution is going to be now for women is that they leave. And we've heard so many women leave jobs when they realize how unfairly they've been treated. Mm. So organizations are losing top talent because of this sort of outdated practice. Whereas if you actually have capability matrices and standardized 
uh, bands of pay, you actually solve the stuff really easily yeah. and make keep everyone motivated and happy. So Agreed. sort of just checking that bias about your your value is not dictated by how well you negotiate on day one. Yeah, I love it. Well, we know these are really heavy. They each require their own podcast, but we just, you know, love to kick off the year with some really tangible things that you can do. Put some stuff in the resources. Here's to a great year and closing gaps all over the place. And please, our big ask would be to share this podcast with other people who would, who you think need to hear it. Wonderful. Yeah. Go forth and act. Make <laughs> small changes. See big results. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.